This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. I, I, I would uh, plug it and say, hey, find us on wherever you get your podcasts. But you already do that. Apple, Google, ScoopDuck.com, and everywhere else. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins here with you. And uh, J-Hop's rocking the St. Mary's shirt today. Yeah. Well, Cooper, uh, Cooper, my oldest, has a... JV game tonight, basketball game at okay. seven against Crater. So it's kind of a big game for them tonight. Their Crater's pretty, really good this year. Yeah, yeah. Crater's got a great uh, JV team and everything. So it's, I mean, he knows it's a big game. Um, but those two don't play very often. Obviously, no. St. Mary's is a much smaller school. So, um, and then Cooper coming from the Central Point school system up until this year. He knows all those kids. So he's tight with them. Yeah, this so is important. He's excited. One of these days, this reminds me, completely off topic on what we're going to get to today, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. One of these days, I got to get Nate Biddle and his dad yeah. to do a pod with us. Yeah. Because their story is incredible. Right. And, and you know, we don't get into basketball recruiting that much. Sure. But I would argue he is the crown jewel. He is who... I guarantee you, if Dana had to prioritize who he wants. Sure. He wants Nate Biddle. Yeah. So does Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State. Right. So do the guys uh, like Mick Cronin at UCLA and, yep. and everybody down in LA. Everybody. Yeah. They want Nate Biddle. And he's right here in Southern Oregon. Yeah. And uh, that, that might be a good one for the future. Yeah. I know. That's a good idea. Actually, I hadn't even thought about that. And that's a great idea. So I think we can certainly set that up. You know, obviously, with him having a high school schedule, he can bounce. And I see his dad. Like, I drive by his dad probably at least once a day. Every, I mean, we wow. we see. Oh, yeah, because, you know, obviously, me living right there. But, I mean, we – and you can't mistake him. He's got one of those uh, big, like, Mercedes-Benz, like, the cargo vans. I don't know what you call them, like a Sprinter van, but yeah, for passengers. The, the E-Series. Yeah, right. he's got one of those big – so, you, I mean, it's a, it's a car you can't mistake when you're driving. Yeah, oh, hey, <laughs> there he is. Um, but, yeah, and then, obviously, we have the uh, – at least for – middle school aau the the crater tournament this weekend so i'm sure they'll be around they always kind of watch the the younger guys and i know um his dad works with the seventh grade team a little bit as yeah. well so good to know for the little biddle so back to yeah our a block every week on this pod yeah. <laughs> we, we could make our our bread and butter just talking duck football 12 oh, yeah. months out of the year ducks have a new oc they do officially right right yeah, officially yeah right no, we got pretty lucky because that all kind of came out last week, you know, when we were right when we were about to, you know, do the podcast. But obviously, uh, you know, nothing was officially announced up until uh, let's see when they do it, Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember. But they finally announced it Tuesday, finally announced it Tuesday. Uh, Joe Moorhead already out on the recruiting trail, you know, uh, made a new offer uh, today, earlier today, in fact, to a, a, a state of Mississippi quarterback in the 21 class. So. I mean, he's definitely out there doing work and, and, and everything I've heard so far, just a couple days, so I'm not going to go too far, but everybody's pretty excited about this hire, at least from a recruiting standpoint, from the recruits. And they should be. Yeah. I mean, everything I've read from Penn State fan mm-hmm. who miss him and, and long for him, 
everything I've read from Husky fan that is just crushed right. that they, A, didn't get him, <laughs> and B, got the dollar store knockoff replacement for him. Right. And everything I've heard uh, from you and reading the site and, and kind of on his chemistry with Mario and his connection to the other coaches and, and his vision for Oregon. Yeah. This is a home run hire. Absolutely. You know, I I I know I posed this question somewhere. I'm not I don't remember if it was on the site or on Facebook, but I mean, is this the biggest hire of Mario Cristobal era so far? I mean, you got to love what Andy Avalos has done. We don't know what Joe Joe Moorhead would do, but this particular hire right now with how everything sits seems to have generated more buzz than the Andy Avalos hire did at that time. I'm kind of taken aback by that, but I will defend it just by thinking about it this way. Avalos steps in. He doesn't have an empty cupboard. Right. He's got some corners that could have gone to the NFL this spring if they wanted to. He's got a loaded D-line. Right. You know, you get to work with true freshman Kayvon Thibodeau. (laughs) Yeah. And he worked with him, and he molded him. Um a lot of pieces on that defense. Yeah. So so you could say he was great, but he had great personnel to work with. Yeah. Moorhead, he, the Ducks need him to craft a vision for a new offensive line. Yeah. A new-ish receiving core. You're right. going to have some new faces there. Tight end is a question mark. Huge. And quarterback yeah. is a mystery box right yeah. now. We have no idea who's going to be the gunslinger. Yeah. So having a new OC who gets to really build things his way, that's huge. Yeah, and I, and I know I said this last week, and it just, I mean, listening to you talk and from what I've read, it man, it just, you're hitting the nail on the head, in my opinion. I, I think fans are getting so excited about the Moorhead hire and the things he's been able to do offensively in the past, and those are all very exciting things. But you got to take that massive step back and realize, okay, new quarterback's coming in. This guy's not a, a regular starter. Like you said, huge question marks at tight end. Does McCormick come back? If not, who's the guy there now? Right. Receiving core, it might be better, but it's still, to me, I, I like to phrase it as a work in progress. I think it's going the right direction, but it remains a work in progress. And like you said, all new offensive line. I mean, all new except for Panay Sewell. Yeah. That, I mean, that alone right there, if you just said – Everything else was staying the same. If Herbert's coming back and we said there's four out of five new offensive starters on the offensive line, that's worrisome enough on its own merit. Mm -hmm. So I think the expectations are are really going to be important to keep in check. I think, you know, it's going to be a very important spring for this offense. It's going to be obviously a very important summer with them doing their um, voluntary workouts, which they'll do. Um, Air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes there. Yeah. Very important air quotes. It's, it's a great hire. I, 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 everything we've read, I, I don't know. If, I'm sure you've been, you know, following Hithloday. He's been kind of charting it a little bit. No doubt. QB 11's been linking all kinds of stuff on uh, Moorhead. Like you said, everybody at Penn State, they're looking at it and going, "Good job, Oregon, great hire." Everybody at Washington's like, "Oh shit, they did hire Moorhead. That's the guy we should have hired." And then you've got everybody. At, you've got a lot of people at Mississippi State that seem to genuinely feel like Moorhead maybe didn't quite get a fair shake there. You know, in the in the two short years that he was there at Mississippi State, you got a lot of fans that seem to have his back. Uh, I think from a recruiting standpoint, he's really set to do good things. But he he definitely has his hands full coming into Oregon, and it's not like the cupboard's bare or empty. Right. It's it's just a, a newly filled cupboard. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not yeah. quite. You know, here, congrats, you have the worst offense in football. Right. I I think he kind of walked into that with Mississippi State two years ago. Yeah. 
Um, but there's still enough question marks where you like having somebody who's experienced. Right. You like having somebody who knows exactly what he wants. And this guy's been a head coach, and he's been a Power 5 coordinator. I think he knows exactly what he wants. Yeah, I think the biggest difference uh, that we uh, – the biggest difference, in my opinion, regardless of what the offense looks like, I think the biggest difference here is he he seems to be – being an offensive coordinator is – uh, it's like a rhythm. Uh, you have to get out there and you have to be able to think on the fly and listen to your coaches and see what the defense is presenting and realize, hey, look, I would really like to call this play, but that probably doesn't set us up for success. I've got this one in the bag. Let's go with this one. Right. You got to you got to be an experienced play caller, and, and there's no way to do that without just doing it. I mean, you have to have experienced it. Um, and I. I I think Marcus Arroyo was inconsistent in that area. I think there were times where he had some really strong play calls, some really good plays, you know, dialed up some things. I do think he was limited by some other factors, but I also think there were areas where he was maybe kind of stubborn or just, you know, maybe got into his own head with play calls. I think Joe Moorhead's an upgrade in that area alone as far as you, just as a play caller. And, and yeah. you know, drawing up the offense, all these other things, I think one of the things Moorhead probably far will far excel over Marcus Arroyo will be him scheming around the, the talent and players he has and utilizing their strengths, putting them in a in a position for success. I think that was something that maybe wasn't quite fully utilized under Marcus Arroyo. I, I think he'll come in and see what he's got talent wise, maybe find ways to get, you know, Jalen Red the ball on a on a sweep or, or those other things. I think he's going to do a little better job of incorporating some of those things. And I know a lot of fans ask for those things all year long. Yeah. yeah I think those are going to be the biggest differences. That seems like a dream come true for fans <laughs> of, of yeah. a Jalen Red package. And maybe you find something for Patrick Herbert. Maybe yeah. you find something for I mean, that stable of running backs. Right. It, obviously, it was a successful year for Oregon. Win the Pac-12 title. Win the Rose Bowl. Uh, statement for Mario Cristobal on the on the brand and recruiting front, but I think if you could maybe tweak one thing from last year, I, I still wish I could see some of those young promising running backs. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think you'll see. I don't know how the running back rotation will work, just because you know Jim Mastro is still there, so that's a constant. And I know that Oregon really like to go with the hot hand. I have no problem with that. I mean, if one of your guys is is gaining chunk yardage, I mean, ride him until he gets tired. You know, I think I think if you're C.J. Verdell, you're absolutely licking your chops that Joe Moorhead's now going to be calling plays for you. I mean, you look what he did with Saquon Barkley at Penn State, and you got to be going, oh yes, please, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, late Christmas gift, if you will, for him, but. Um, like you said, you got Trey Benson coming in. I mean, you have Sean Dollars who who's kind of come in and out a little bit. I'm a huge Cyrus Habibi Licchio fan, of course. I love what he's done as a team guy. Don't know how much more expanded you can make his role, but yeah, you got a lot of running backs, and at this point, it's a matter of you know making that all work and and really just, in my opinion, the way I see, it, if wide receivers your weak your weak point on offense, which it kind of is, you've got a real you've got to come up with a way to minimize that, and so. What do you do? Obviously, you're going to maximize the run game. Maybe you've got your running backs catching a little bit more passes out of the backfield. I don't know. I'm not an OC, but Joe Moorhead clearly is. Is a great. Is a what a what an exciting hire on on paper. It's an exciting hire. Do you feel better about the receiving core heading into next year than you did heading into this last year? 
I think I do. That's a really good question because, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and label last year as with Jawan Johnson, who really excited me. Obviously, we can't, you know, he was hurt the first part of the year. We didn't know that until it got to that point. Right. Um, you know, that's a bit of a bummer. But, uh, I mean, he was a, a big a big factor. I think when you when you've got a guy like Devin Williams that's coming in, uh, you know, Lance Wilhoyt was hurt last year. Jerwan Waters was hurt a lot of last year, and I've heard a lot of great things about those two young men. I think they're going to add an element to this wide receiver group. And you know, although Oregon didn't recruit a lot of wide receivers in this past recruiting cycle, you know, you've got Chris Hudson coming in. You've got some guys coming in a little bit there to help. I think another year under Joe Von Booknight who really did a great job with that group last year. I mean, they caught the ball more consistently. It was a better group overall. Um, I think wide receiver will be a little better this year, probably not a ton. I think in two years we're talking about a heck of a group. You mentioned book night, and this gets to something I've I've read a lot on your site Mm -hmm. of of a common refrain. Maybe it's just because of the time of the year with uh, recruiting kind of in a weird spot. Of you hit some of the deadlines, but not all the deadlines, right. and uh, coaching hires all wrapped up now. The carousel is loaded. You're getting a lot of questions about Coach Booknight. Yeah, and I I kind of think about it this way: like when a player moves to a new school or mm-hmm. a new team, we always say, "Oh, that first year is a wash." Sure, because you got to move and you got to learn a new system and everything. Well. Coach Booknight had the same situation, right? Right. He moves from all the way across the country, was in SEC country, now yeah. he's in Oregon, and he's got to move his family, yeah. he's got to find a home, he's got to adjust to the West Coast, he's got to adjust to a new boss, Mario Cristobal, right. and he has to execute at a high level. Yeah. Year one might have been a wash. Yeah, yeah, it might have been a wash. You know, I think I think he did a lot of good in the, in the coaching area, you know, the recruiting you know, might, you know, maybe wasn't as good as, as, as fan, you know, you losing Johnny Wilson there at the end, um, didn't close on some guys there at the end. Um, I think it leaves a little bit to be desired and I don't think that that's being harsh by any means. Um, I, I imagine if coach book and Mario Crispall were in a room talking, they'd probably phrase it about like that as well. Um, uh, but as far as the coaching goes, as far as getting his guys ready and developing the guys that he's got, I think, I mean, I think that was I think that was a strong point by far. So, nice. you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does in year two. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see this uh, defense in year two under Avalos. I mean, like it, like it's you want to say they reloaded, but they like really reloaded on defense. How good do you think they can be? <laughs> Man, I don't know. But it's I mean, I, and I hate I hate it because like I'm sitting here trying to dial people back on offense like, hey, Pull your expectations back just a tad. The hire's great. I think Moorhead's going to be great. But remember, we've got all these question marks. But we go and we look at defense, and it's like I'm having a tough time tempering my own expectations because it's like, man, Thibodeau, second year, you know, Scott and Lenore and Graham all came back. You've got Javon Holland. You've got two five-star linebackers coming in. Yeah. Holy crap, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the the big landmarks for me are – Kayvon Thibodeau could be a number one overall pick yeah. when it's all said and done. Yeah. Could is a key word. Right. But I see a lot of Jadeveon Clowney in him. Yeah. I see a lot of Khalil Mack in him. There's just certain edge guys that 
have every skill in the book, yeah. and you can't block them. Yeah, they have the they have the the, the athletic gifts that you that are unteachable. Yeah. That are that I don't care how hard you work out, you're never going to get there. That that play in the Rose Bowl where he stunts inside, yeah. and bull rushes a guard, right? Like he's tiny. Yeah, he's like what two forty, yeah. two thirty, yeah, and he's a freshman, right? And he's doing that. Yeah, that should never happen. No. And and now you're talking about a, a speed player that's going to be in, in year two of this strength and conditioning program. Yeah. Um, obviously, continue to be developed under Joe Salavea, under Andy. Andy Avalos has worked with defensive line pretty much everywhere he's gone along the way in his coach. So, I mean, you know, the, the defensive line is getting double-dipped, really. You're getting Joe Salavea. You're getting Andy Avalos, both those guys working with you. I mean, gosh, it's, it's, no, it's no mystery why that group has – Probably, man, it's tough to say. Probably developed as much as any group at Oregon, really. I mean, offensive lines obviously developed. Uh, defensive backs, you know, I got I love what the corners have done uh, in the past two years under Dante Williams. I mean, yeah. but you look at defensive line. I mean, Thibodeau in the second year, and then he's going to have two five-star linebackers behind him that are pinning their ears back. That are freaks, yeah, that yeah. are freaks. And then you get, you know, the best thing, the best gift of all. For Kayvon Thibodeau was Jordan Scott coming back. Yes. And I love some of those young guys, but nobody eats space like Jordan Scott. Yeah. Well, eats space is the key word. Yeah. Because in, in that scheme, the way the Ducks have used him, and honestly, I think the way he'll be used in the pros. Yes. It's his, it's his skill set. You don't need a lot of sacks. Nope. You don't need a lot of hits. Nope. Just swallow gaps. Yeah. Fill gaps, fill space, consume blockers. And let Thibodeau and the Blitzers run home. Yeah, because as soon as, you know, as soon as a guy, as soon as the ball is snapped and a guy like Jordan Scott all of a sudden demands a double team, well, no matter who it is that's doubling him, whether it's, you know, whether it's the guard or the center or the tackle, that's created a lane. And that lane is exactly what the linebackers want to run through. Yes. And so, you know, you you give Troy Dye a, a lot of credit for the tackles he had this year, last two, three years. Had a great career. Loved Troy Dye. But even he, I imagine, is going to say, man, that guy up front created a lot of lanes for me to run through. Hey, hey, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Ray Lewis, even, you know, arguably the best linebacker of his generation, when he was asked, how do you, you know, how do you uh, credit your success? He said, I had Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams in front of me. Right. Um, a lot of great talent on that D-line. Yes. You mentioned the secondary, and this blows me away. Think about the Ducks offense last year, where Justin Herbert, we all knew he was going to be a first-round pick, and I thought Jawan Johnson had the potential to be a first-rounder. A lot of question marks on the rest of the line of who's a first-round guy. Defensively, Javon Holland might be a top-ten pick next year. Yeah, I mean, a tad bit undersized, but anybody... Uh, any, Ball hawk. Yeah, any of those defenses, and you see it, a uh, perfect example is Tyron Matthew. I think that is a, an absolute, almost ideal uh, comparison for him. You're talking yeah. about a guy that basically just kind of sits back there, knows where the ball is going, has great instincts, can come up and and help you in the alley, can help uh, tackle. Um, you know, a guy like Javon Holland has... I think right now I'd say top 10 is very aggressive, but I say first rounder is very fair for him. Uh, But he could get there. I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't get there because he he absolutely could. 
Um, because of the premium placed on a couple of positions, one of those being offensive tackle, Panay Sewell might end up being the top taken number one player next year. Strongly agree. Yeah, I mean, Strongly it's agree. pretty crazy to think about that, but you know, it's it, almost a no-brainer, though, at this point. If it's one of those years where the team picking one doesn't absolutely desperately need a quarterback, yeah. Pen A is probably the number one on their board. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams are probably thinking, man, we wish we could get him right now. Right. Um, you, you don't have a left tackle that comes out as refined as he will. Um, but back to Holland, my logic is just there are two kinds of safeties that NFL teams covet. Right. There are the thumper guys, yep. uh, your traditional kind of it, Jack Tatum, Ronnie yeah. Lott hitter. And those guys go in the first round every year. Yep. Teams always fall in love with that. But then there's also this second type that I think Ed Reed really popularized. Mm-hmm. And, and later, um, I think about Earl Thomas with the Seahawks back in the day. Eric Weddle as well. Of these guys, find ball, get ball. Yeah. And you, know, you mentioned Tyron Matthew. 31 NFL teams would kill for Tyron Matthew right now. Right. Because find ball, get ball. He just makes plays, makes stuff happen. And every week, I I can't count how many times you would say, hey, player of the game this week is Javon Holland. Right. And then Javon Holland has two picks and a couple deflections and just huge plays every week. Yeah, I I think with the to take home your point, with the NFL becoming this passing league, there's definitely a premium on not only corners, but secondary, uh, excuse me, safeties who can cover. And Javon Holland definitely fits that book. I mean, Javon Holland's one of those rare guys. You could probably roll him down to corner if you absolutely had to. Now, there's no need to at Oregon. Obviously, you've got Graham and Lenore, and they do a tremendous job. And those two guys right there coming back are really going to help Javon Holland. And I think the fact that Brady Breeze finished this season so strong because Javon ended up in the nickel for – two-thirds of the season or at least the second half of the season that you know they started him out of safety and kind of rolled him into nickel so he mm-hmm. you know nickel he could kind of be the center fielder just kind of roam around a little bit right and uh, you know they'll do that I think Oregon will do that again to start next year and I'll and the reason I say that obviously they've got great corners so teams are, are going to be a little bit skeptical to throw at those two guys but secondly uh, Brady Breeze's development at safety towards the end of the season was big and really it kind of helped solidify one of those safety spots. And then I think you got Bennett Williams coming in and I know I, I praise him a lot, but I mean, that to me is another guy you put on the field. He's going to find a way to make plays. He's going to find the football. He's got a nose for the football too. If you got those kind of ball Hawks out there <laughs> with that kind of speed and talent up front and then five-star linebackers, it's no wonder we're all gushing about the defense, myself included. Yeah. You mentioned that talent, Bennett Williams, stud yeah. and and five-star backers and man it just feels like they're loading up on talent yeah no it really does it's pretty pretty remarkable to think about um just the trans the transformation in just a couple short years because we were talking you know about how many holes there were to fill on defense i mean there have been so many holes and okay we got a little better on defensive line but you know it's troy die and nobody else at linebacker and then lamar winston suddenly better um, you know, Samson New and, and ISM have come along. Um, you know, you've, uh, you've really developed there. And then obviously at corner, it took some major development from what Graham and Lenore came in as freshmen to where they are now, um, obviously being talked about as NFL draft picks. So, And, and then you got Andy Avalos. I mean, just 
just what a defensive coordinator. Holy cow. Do you think next year is his last year at Oregon? I hope not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, for me, uh, and as you know, and I think his fans know, it's a lot easier for me to cover this team when they're winning. It's a lot. It's better for business. No uh, that, that, you know, there's no doubt about that. So it's better for me too. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather sit here and do a podcast or, or run a message board about a team that just went to the Rose Bowl instead of one that, you know, struggled in the Alamo Bowl and won by six points or something or whatever or the Red Box or whatever. You know, so I'm getting uh, bad flashbacks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> don't Stop. say Alamo Bowl. Don't bring on this it podcast, up. Man. Don't bring it up. Um, you know, so I'd love I. I I just I be I am entering the part of my Andy Avalos love affair. I'm entering the part where I start to wonder if he's going to end up becoming a guy that just loves being a def- defensive coordinator and coaching ball on that side of the ball. Oregon's a school like a lot of other schools that would handsomely reward him for taking that role and owning that, you know, owning that uh, coordinator spot for the foreseeable future. We've seen it done at Clemson. There's a lot of guys in the NCAA that make great coordinators and so-so head coaches. Obviously, Joe Moorhead coming to Oregon might be an example of that. Right. Clearly, we know he knows offense. Right. Head coach, you know, eh, we, we're not sure yet. I don't think he had a fair shake down there, you know, all the way at Mississippi State. So I'm not ready to totally grade him on that. But clearly, as an offensive coordinator, we know he's got that down. So uh, back to Avalos, I, I, you know, you just wonder, does he want to be the guy in charge or does he like – just being able to, you know, figure out what the offense is trying to do and, and and shut them down. There's something to be said for that. No doubt. Yeah. No, and and if that's his aspiration, he's in the right place for it. Like you said, yeah. Yeah. Of, of they'll back up the Brinks truck to keep a good coach. I think they proved that with Mario. And I think what he would appreciate is the style of offense that Oregon runs is very friendly to a defensive coordinator. It's a lot of possession. You know, it's run the ball. All of those things help. It's not a bad thing when your offense scores 50 points, and but it's really hard and taxing on your defense when they're all under-minute drives, when they're three or four plays. So, you know, we saw that in the Chip Kelly era. It was really tough. You had to rotate through a lot of bodies to, you know, log all those snaps and all those minutes on defense. So I think that's something that might be a bit appealing to Andy Avalos as well. Uh, one more thing on football, yeah. and then I want to talk hoops for a couple minutes. You mentioned Chip. Yeah. Right now, if you're just looking big picture across the Pac-12, okay. does another team scare you? That's a good question. Um, I will say this, and it's probably not going to be the popular opinion. I think, I think Clay Helton actually did a really good job oh retaining Graham Harrell. And adding Orlando to defensive coordinator. That's those are two really strong coordinators for him. Now you still got to develop these guys. You've still got to go out and recruit, which hasn't been his strong point to date. You've got a lot of things that you've got to do. But make no mistake about it. We've said it since Hilton's been there. USC is still USC. You can go out and offer these kids, and they'll mm-hmm. come. It's a sleeping giant. Yeah, always, always. They're blue blood. They're they're quite possibly the only blue blood out west. Really, I mean, it's USC. Um, you're in a one of the most talent-rich areas in the in the in the in the nation in the country. I think he did a really good job there. They've got some returning talent. Um, they still got some holes to fill. They've got a lot of difficulty there on the offensive line, some other areas. But they've got receivers. Um, the only thing that's only always going to hinder them is that style of offense. It will put up points, 
but that air raid can be very dangerous. I mean, it, it's one of those things. We right. one of the common denominators of the of the college football playoff is those teams run the ball very well and stop the run very well. It's mm-hmm. a common denominator almost every year. There might be an anomaly here or there, but one of the consistent, you know, two of the consistent things is being able to stop the run on defense and being able to run the ball on offense. Right, and I think. Not so much from a style standpoint, like mm-hmm. you can have an LSU that breaks the mold, but when I hear that, I think efficiency. Yeah, those are teams you run the ball, you stop the run. Generally, those are teams that are winning the turnover battle. Yeah, and the problem with air raid and Mike Leach can talk about this from Wazoo and Cliff Kingsbury had this issue at Texas Tech. You have some games where you blow somebody out seventy to ten, and you throw seven touchdowns. Right. And then you have games like uh, Wazoo UCLA this year. They throw nine passing touchdowns, right? And they lose because they had three or four stupid turnovers. Sure. And in a traditional offense, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I, and I think LSU, I say, is a bad example for this reason. They had the ability to run the football. LSU is different than USC or or your example of Wazoo, which is a great example. Those teams really don't have that ability to transition and be like, hey, we need to go run heavy. Mm-hmm. When they do, they get eaten up. They might get a big play here or there, but they get eaten up. Right, like uh, the, the snow game in Seattle yeah. uh, two years ago. Yeah, but a team like LSU, sure, they won you know, behind a lot of passing, and, and why wouldn't you when you have Burrow? Um, but that was still a team that very much could run the football consistently, and if they had to, they could run out the clock, you know, churning some tough yardage. They had a great back behind them. They had a great offensive line. I think, you know, again, Joe Brady, I mean, he was obviously money money in the bank for them this year. It'll be interesting to see LSU next year. That's a lot of talent to re- replace, not only on the on the roster, but on the No doubt. So that'll be really interesting. But again, you know, even you want to argue like an Oklahoma or a Clemson that, that, that does run a pretty wide open offense, they still can consistently run the football. Um Oklahoma wasn't as good running the ball this year. I know they had some chunk plays, but they weren't really a, a strong run game, and that's right. why I believe they got – that's why I felt they were going to get run out of the playoff this year, and they did. Yeah, and that made sense to me uh, when you think about the the offensive line talent that yeah. is left for the NFL draft, Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. Good problem to have because you're, you're getting this great promotion of your brand yep. out for all the recruits bad problem to have is you're losing three nfl caliber linemen in two years yeah and you know what ned that might be what becomes a problem for oregon no doubt yeah i mean clearly the way they're recruiting um i mean guys like well panay sewell's not a great example because you you can't replace he's a generational kind of guy but yeah i think he is a great example for that reason because and i i say this as a massive fan of the recruits Mario has brought yeah. in the trenches. And I know you said something similar. Hey, uh, I think you tweeted this out the other day. Hey, he's never going to have a problem recruiting linemen. Right. Right? Right. I, I totally agree with you. But you can't replace Penny Sewell. No. You just can't do it. No, no. Any, I mean, almost anybody else is going to be a, a, a tear down. But the the reality is this, and I, and I think you can do it from a player-by-player player basis, but I, I'll do it just as, as the entire line – I think Oregon's offensive line that, that's, that's graduated and left and trying to get to the NFL, uh, great line, consistent, tons of experience. They're being replaced, though, by a more talented group 
in my opinion. That group that's about to come in for Oregon is going to be bigger. They're going to be stronger. They're going to be faster. They're going to make mistakes, but they can also make up for those mistakes by their athleticism. The important key for them will be how quick they gel this year. And I think that will be the key for Oregon's offensive line for years to come. I think you're almost always going to be moving guys out after three you know, three years at Oregon. Like Stephen Jones, I know he didn't play much last year. I could see him out of Oregon in two years. Like I think he's wow. just I think he's gonna have a huge year this year and he's gonna have a tough time deciding whether to come back or not after this year. And in two years he's for sure gone. I mean you're gonna have those kind of guys that come in and are more like Panay Sewell come in for three years and, and, and are out. And you're just gonna have more of this rotate you know, it's it was a transition for fans to understand Hey, look, Mario Cristobal is going to hire these guys, and they're all going to stay for twenty or twenty-five years, like the last guys did. Mm-hmm. No, that's all gone now. I mean, Mario is going to hire guys, and he's going to have to replace guys because they're going to get poached. They're going to move up, mm-hmm. and that's a great thing. I, I think in terms of, of offensive line, you're going to see more turnover on offensive line because of guys coming out quicker because of them being developed, not only by Mario Cristobal but Alex Mirabal as well, who just honestly doesn't get as much. Uh, do it do he doesn't get his dues like he should in my opinion no doubt I mean he's a great recruiter he really is I think at least from my perspective and you would know more on this but coach Mirabal seems like when you talk about a coordinator that just wants to be a coordinator obviously he's not a coordinator but position coach yeah he strikes me as that guy that he is totally okay being in the background yeah let Mario take the spotlight right Aaron Feld with his crazy mustache, you know, get on national TV every week, and I'm just going to do my job and do it well. Yeah. No, you're right. I think I, I think that's a guy that probably has the experience and the knowledge to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Maybe not a mate, not not at Texas or Florida State or you know Alabama, but he could probably get a job at a lot of schools. If if Arroyo floated OC at UNLV. He, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I I just don't I just don't think it's anything he wants. He likes working with the offensive line group, likes recruiting them. I just think, I mean, man, there's there's a few guys on this current Oregon staff that I think will be here for a long time. He's definitely one of them. I think him and Big Joe will probably be, you know, at Oregon as long as they want to coach, if I had to guess. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's an amazing one to me, too. Yeah. Joe, I, Joe's, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people like to talk about Joe Salavea and link him to defensive coordinator jobs. and I – I kind of get the sense that that window passed. You know what I mean? And Joe's, I mean, Joe's not a young guy by any means. He's a lot of fire, love his energy. I think he's great at what he does working with the defensive line. In terms of him taking that next step to maybe a, an OC or even a head coach, which he's been linked to at times, I kind of think that that window is probably mostly passed in his career. I think he'll kind of, I think he'll coach out his days as a, as a position coach and then, Obviously, I mean, he's making like seven fifty, eight fifty a year now at Oregon. Yeah, he'll retire just fine. <laughs> and he had that NFL money. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, I'm just saying he'll retire just fine. He doesn't need head coach or you know DC money to That's retire. Amazing. Yeah, amazing to think about. Uh, Oregon loses a lot of talent in the uh, playing core and uh, offensive side of the ball, especially. But you keep a lot of talent in the coaching staff yeah. and add a couple gems along the way. Also want to talk hoops with you. Yeah, yeah, we, it's a big weekend. Yeah. I love it. Let's play some basketball! All right, so Seattle. Yeah. Overtime. Yeah. Peyton Pritchard. Right. Did you see that coming? I, I mean, I, I... 
I would love to say I, I did. I mean, let me put it this way. I'm not sure there is another player in America right now that I'd rather have the ball in his hands in that situation than Peyton Pritchard. I mean, he's freaking ice cold. I mean, he's just it's it's unreal the way that he puts up those shots with such confidence. And I mean, it's like I mean, literally. And I know that I think I saw on Twitter where they kind of mirrored him. But you watch him and Dame Lillard kind of operate in that same situation. It's just like, man, they've totally got it under control. So I mean, I'd love to say I saw that coming, but I I, I don't I didn't really see that coming. But uh, yeah, I mean, Peyton Pritchard's gotta be talking his way into National Player of the Year at this point. I agree. I agree, and I thought about this, and and I think I said this on my show Monday. I was biased because I covered Peyton when he was in high school, yeah. and I'm not a recruiting expert like you, but I know the kind of player that makes the rounds in, in Oregon yeah. at, in all the sports, Sure, and I just thought, okay, you're going up against kids that will never even sniff D1 college basketball, uh, much less Power 5, sure. you know, major conference D1 college basketball. I thought, how good is this kid really going to be in college hoops? Yeah. I thought maybe you'd be the 8th, ninth best player on your team. Right. Never thought he could be the forefront of a team like he's become. Yeah. And and now just blown away by his trajectory. I yeah. mean, here's a guy, scouts are saying, hey, we see a fifth gear. We want you to kick into it. Right. And he does it this weekend in Seattle. That Peyton Pritchard? Yes. That guy can be the best player in basketball. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's, he's earning the attention. I mean, obviously right now he's carrying the team. He really is. He's carrying Oregon basketball right now. Um, it's been really weird to me, I, I, you know, as I watched them ever since uh, Dante entered the lineup. He is a better player than Okoro. He's a better. He's more talented, more athletic. But I really feel like the team chemistry's kind of suffered a bit since yeah. they've put him in the lineup. And so I just I, I want, you know, is that something that will play out? Has it been because of injuries? Because there's been a, a few injuries along the way too, and I get that. But um, it just really seems like. The chemistry on the team was pretty good to start the season. You know, we saw those great games in the tournaments and, and some near wins and near losses. Um, and now it just seems like it's I don't, inconsistent. Yeah. I mean, it just is. I, I think it strikes a chord on you, you look back to last season, and I feel like the main criticism you could say now rang really true then in that the Ducks often didn't make the extra pass. Yeah. A half-court offense would be really sluggish. And the solution that Dana came up with was, okay, we'll just never play half-court offense. Yeah. We're just going to rip your heart out on defense right. and then school you in transition. Yeah, run and gun. Um, I don't know if this team is built that way. And, nah. And it doesn't mean that they can't be tweaked that way. Right. Dana found a lineup that made things work last year. But I'm really eager to see uh, with these L.A. schools coming to Eugene this yeah. weekend, USC tonight, right. UCLA on Sunday, really eager to see if we see a transition to that transition attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think something's got to I think something's got to be tweaked. Obviously, you're not going to change all of what you're doing, but I think something's got to be tweaked a little bit for them to kind of, you know, take that jump. Hit the next level. I don't know what I don't know what word I'm looking for. Right. But it seems as though we're kind of getting near the point 
of where Oregon basketball kind of starts to turn the corner a little bit. Every year. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're reaching that point here towards the end of January. And, you know, we see a team that in the next three or four weeks, some, you know, mid-February, late February, kind of going, eh, making the run. Here they come. You know, watch out. So uh, right now, I suppose for the next couple of weeks, we're really watching to see if that trend starts. And, again, it might be a tweak. It might be just getting healthy. It might be, you know, the chemistry with Dante out there and kind of working through that. I don't know what it'll be. Maybe it's all those things. But to me, it's going to be interesting to watch these next couple weeks to see if they start turning that corner a little bit. And if they do, this will be a really tough team in March. No doubt. A fun team in March. No doubt. Yeah. A really pivotal stretch up ahead with the L.A. schools. Um, Pivotal would be another word to describe what the ladies are doing right now. Yeah, a little bit of lady action here this weekend. How about that Stanford blowout, Oh, my word. That was insane. I mean, just when... Just when you think you've seen everything from Sabrina, and then she freaking wows you again. You're like, yeah. I mean, you're just watching her going, this, this, this young lady is magical. Yes. I mean, literally, she's yes. just magical. She, there are, and we've seen them. There are, um, there are players that have it. Like just, I mean, Michael Jordan had it. Yes, LeBron has it. You know, at least in his in his prime. Um, certain players have it. She is one of them. I mean. Kobe had it. I mean, just they get on the court. They know they're the best player on the court. They, When the team needs them on offense, they'll take care of it. When they need to pass the ball, they make the pass. I mean, unreal. Just I, I hope fans are going to the games this year and really enjoying getting to see, you know, the final season of her at Oregon. Strongly agree. Take advantage. I think we are looking at the greatest women's basketball player ever. Yeah. I, I, I see so much potential in her. And and like you said, hey, some players have that it. Yeah. When Kobe says she has it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think back to the story Kelly told us when we had Kelly Graves on the pod last summer, and he says, uh, um, all these NBA legends, Kareem is coming up, yeah. going, hey, you're Sabrina's coach. Right. She has it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. When Kareem says that, and Kobe says that, and Isaiah Thomas is reaching out saying right. that, like. These guys know what legend status looks like. Yeah, it's that whole. She has it. Yeah, I say it's that whole thing. The you know real recognize real, and those guys are all. I mean, obviously legends, and they're looking at this chick going, "Holy smokes, she's got it." Yeah, she's. I mean, she is. What? A, but even then, I mean, it's the rest of the girls too. I mean, they're doing a tremendous job. Obviously, you know, Kelly Graves, Coach Graves has got them locked in and loaded. Um, you know, obviously they had the. Uh, a little bit of a tough stretch there, but man, they come out of that Stanford game win with what was it thirty points? I think is that right? Blowout win, yeah, just a blowout a monster and, and monster. They did that again. I mean, yeah. they did it to Stanford last year too. Mm-hmm. Crazy to think about. Um, the the loss to Arizona State, yes, to me after what they did, where they they sweep the Oregon schools. It's not as bad of a loss as it might have looked. Right. That's a tournament team. Yeah. And if they can beat Oregon and Oregon State on the road, yep. that's going to be a really, really, really tough tournament team for somebody. Yeah. The, the matchup that I'm intrigued by this weekend, Civil War, women's hoops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know people are going to roll their eyes. I know people are going to say, oh, the Ducks have this in the bag, but... You have a contrast in styles, yes. and there's going to be games where you have Oregon, the team that can shoot the rock, lights out, and make that extra pass, and play fast, and play fun, and they are just going to outscore Oregon State. Yeah. But then there's going to be some games where 
you have a forest in that Oregon State front court. Right. They are huge. Yes. And they are tough and they are physical. And there might be some games where they clean the glass and they deny you. Yeah. And I, I just don't know what kind of game we'll have. Well, I think, <clears throat> you know, my brain naturally relates back to football in almost everything we talk about. But I think in this particular instance, the way I would I would make the uh, transition from football, you know, in in football, you if you don't if you have a high octane offense, the best way to slow them down, is to slow down the ball, possess the ball, control the ball, you know, limit their second chances. Yes. If you're Oregon great State, defense yeah. can shut down a great offense. And I think if you're Oregon State, that's exactly what you do. You you don't want to get into a run and gun, you know, battle with Oregon. You want to get the ball, run a half court offense. You want to grind them out. You want to get them down there and push them around on the post. You want to tire them out. You want to get Sabrina trying to chase you all over the court after you're making passes. Um, get that shot clock, you know, down low as much as you can. I mean, the, the, you know, the only way to limit Oregon from scoring is to keep the basketball out of their hands. I think Oregon State will probably try and do that as much as possible. I would. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. Me neither. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And conversely, though, those big trees and stuff, they get tired out in a hurry if you're if you're chasing the ball a lot. No doubt. <laughs> and, and we saw that Elite Eight last year in yeah. Portland where our biggest concern heading into that game Mississippi State, man, they were tall. Yeah. Those girls were nuts. They had size. But in the fourth quarter, yep. Ruthie Hebert on the pick and roll, she's just too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And Sabrina out on the pick and pop, too fast. Yeah. They're big. They're great if you need them to snatch a rebound. But can they cover the length of the floor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in any, in any way, if you have basketball at, at any level, men's, women's, whatever, if, if you're playing a, a bigger, taller team, you know, you're going to go right at them and try and wear them out. You're going to try and tire them out or get their big man or woman in this case in foul trouble, trying to get them over there on the bench. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe we see uh, Sabrina maybe taking it to the rack a little bit more um, and really trying to force the fouls yeah. inside. I mean, maybe. I don't know. It's gonna I'm sure fun. Kelly Graves knows what his pl game plan is. <laughs> and, and I can't wait to. Yeah. Like, whenever I watch – the Oregon women now, because of the conversations we've had with Kelly, I think about Kelly Graves. Right. And, and it hit me the other day. I was riding the bus with um, the South Medford girls basketball team. Oh, yeah. Number one in the state. They're going up to Eugene last night. And we were talking about Coach Graves because we were driving through the Oregon campus and right. seeing like a brand new, uh, the new Hayward Field that they're building. Right. And then we drive by the Jane. And we see uh, a practice facility for women's hoops, and it just like hit us like, man, how perfect is Kelly for Oregon? Right. No, it is a great match, isn't it? I mean, just just his his energy. Obviously, a very high character guy. I mean, and he's really, and you know, I know it's funny because we talked about it, and we had a, we had them both on the same pod. But you have you know Mara Crispall on and Kelly Graves on. And just to see the mutual respect between those two back and forth. You have to have respect. Yeah. You I have mean, to. Across what they're doing, you know, with one another, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. And like you said, um, it's a great fit. I mean, he's a great fit at Oregon. Dana Altman's been a great fit at Oregon. Um, pretty, you know, like, like I keep saying, the golden era of athletics at Oregon. You were earlier, you were raving about how Cristobal signed a five-star linebacker. Mm-hmm. Kelly Graves is getting five star everybody. He only signs five stars. Five star Graves. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I wonder if he even returns calls of like four stars anymore. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe if you get a rankings bump, I'll call you back. If if they don't immediately <laughs> sign that offer, yeah, they're dead to them. Yeah, out yeah, of the picture. Yeah, no, it's pretty. Yeah, pretty interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how he continues to do his um, uh, overseas recruiting as well, because that's been a huge element of his of his success. Yeah, at Oregon, my take is Orla. Absolutely no, but what a great well. So no football this weekend of any kind. So at least we got basketball. Great basketball. Oh, there's the Pro Bowl. Oh, oh yeah. no. I, I, I was trying to be a smart How ass. How did I forget that? I'm not going to watch a, oh, a bona fide no. scrimmage. Yeah, no. But. no, but then we get the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks, so at least we got that going for us. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's going to be fun. That's a good one. I don't I don't care who wins. I have no I have no stake in it. Oh, I don't no. Care. I just think it's going to be a great game. It, it's going to be disgusting. I'm a Raider fan, so uh, yeah, I'm going to gotcha. be kind of, you know, a little vomit in the back of my throat, regardless of who wins. Right. I'm just looking for some good football. Yeah, no, me too. I'm excited. Excited. I get a uh, – sounds like I got a party that's coming together of, of people that want to watch it. So I'm just excited to do the food and, you know, have a beer or two and the betting board. And I just – I mean, for me, I I don't have an NFL team, so I never go into it like, hey, my team's playing. I don't care. I'm just rooting for good football, and I think we're going to get a great game this year. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to hoops. Uh, and and the XFL starts that weekend, too. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to pick an XFL team. <laughs> yeah, may as well. That. I think we got yeah, we got to pick an XFL team. Good Lord. Yeah. Just uh, so you know, you probably won't get a lot of XFL coverage on the podcast, people. No. Yeah. No. Unless something, ha- I mean, unless he hate me makes a return to the right. league. Yeah, then we got to talk about that. That's going to be Marcus's New Jersey <laughs> in the XFL. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Conversations for later this year. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Uh, Oregon Hoops tonight. I think the men are going to do really well this weekend. Um, yep. A sweep is not a good question. I think Oregon goes 4-0 this weekend. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. I went for it. I'm all in. We'll hold you to it. It's a 4-0 weekend. Thanks for listening, everybody. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. I can do this night life all day long